pardon me while I get uh, situated here. All right, so if you've got a, if you've got a Bible or, or a phone, you can turn it to Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Um, I was kind of hoping the title slide would be up there. Um, but uh, it's basically what we're going to be talking about. We're going to continue talking about um, discipleship. Uh, and specifically, we're talking about the disciple and sin. So that's kind of the title of, of the sermon that we're talking about. Um, I was really glad when Justin asked me to teach about this because I feel like a bit of an expert on sin. Like, uh, I was born to it. Like, nobody ever had to teach me how to sin. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I can pretty much talk about it. Um, no, <laughs> I'm joking, of course. You know, I stand before you redeemed by the blood of Christ. Amen. Uh, but um, the truth of the fact is that we as disciples are living in a fallen world. Uh, and there is sin all around us. Uh, and so what we're seeing, what we're going to see in the passage today um, is Jesus preparing his disciples for this world. They're on their way. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the, the disciples in Jesus are on their way to Jerusalem. Um, and so before we look at this uh, section of scripture together, I wanted to highlight that we're going to see a very serious tone, a very, uh, very direct speaking from Jesus um, and it's direct and it's very personal and uh, it, it can be a little um, hard to receive uh, even not just for us today but also for uh, the, uh, the disciples for the people in Jesus time as they were reading it so I'm, I'm mentioning this because as we go through um, go through it uh, it might sound a little differently when we read it together than whatever version you might have up uh, on your phone or in your hands um, and the reason for that is uh, it, some scriptures have been added to it. Some, some things have come in as clarifications, uh, specifically verses uh, 44 and 46 uh, are where you're gonna, if you look down, they're all repetitions of, of verse 48. If you have a more modern translation, you'll see those in brackets or they might even be missing. There might be a note that says, this text omits this or this text adds this. So as I read it, we're going we're gonna to read through and I'll be skipping those verses. The, the content of them, like I said, is in 48. So we're going to see that there and we'll talk about it when we reach it. Uh, but just kind of, just so you know, that's where we're going for this, um, going with this. So if you want to turn to Mark uh, 9:42, if you've got the Pew Bible, it's uh, page 844, 845, sorry. It says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable, unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than, to, uh, with, than with two feet be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown in hell, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, as we open up your word and we look into this, Lord, we just pray that it would change us, Lord. We are open to receive from you, Lord, and we just pray that uh, the truth would penetrate, Lord, that we would live lives dedicated to you, uh, Lord, that uh, you would uh, help us in this, in this fallen world, Lord, and that, uh, that we would, just, uh, we would be uh, just pure for you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as I said, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem um, during this discussion. And Jesus is preparing his disciples for a life without him. They've spent the last three years every day with Jesus, doing life together in such an embedded way. And it must have been, an, it, was, it was an amazing time for them. But now uh, Jesus is going to a time where he's going to be taken away. And even though he's been telling them this, at least, you know, you can look previously in Mark where he says, I'm going to go die. They still haven't quite got it. They still haven't paired the Jesus that they're with with, the, with what the future is going to look like. Um, they've got this uh, idea of, uh, of him in their heads as Jesus is going to conquer and free them, free Israel from uh, the Roman oppression. Uh, but... Uh, what instead is happening is Jesus is going to suffer and die on the cross. Um, it's hard to look at this situation and think, well, you know, if I was there, I would have known it. I would have said, oh, hey, Jesus, you're going to go die and we're going to do this. But the, the, the truth is there's lots of situations where I don't fully understand what God's plan is, right? Um, the disciples knew that Jesus was good. That's what they knew. Just like I know that God is good. And in situations where I'm lost my bearing, I'm like, what's going on. I still need to hold on to that fact that God is good. In John 6, we see Jesus talking to a large group of his, uh, his disciples, and uh, a, a, a large group of them actually wind up leaving based on what he says, because they're confused by it. Um, and uh, Jesus turns to his disciples, and uh, he, says, uh, he asks them, uh, are they going to leave also? And Peter's response shows us exactly where they're at in this situation and others. Um, Jesus, uh, so Jesus said to the 12 in John 6, 67, do you want to go away as well? So Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Wayne's World. I think it was two. Uh, but there's this point where Chris Farley, um, Mike uh, Myers is yelling at Chris Farley, like, what are you doing here? You've got this all wrong. He's trying to be a roadie, and he's just kind of going around crazy. And uh, don't worry, there's a point. And so um, uh, Chris Farley just, uh, you know, Mike Myers says, why are you even here? And Chris Farley says, I've got no place else to go. And, you know, like, I feel like that. Like, there's no place else to go. In fact, there's no place I'd rather be. But, you know, like, there's this point of just being at the end of yourself. And uh, the disciples, really, they've got no place else to go. That's Peter's response here. And in the situation where, where um, uh, Jesus is, going, is talking to them about these things, they, they, they might not fully get it, but they know that God is good. They know that Jesus is good. Um, So, and that's uh, the reality that, that we, we have kind of, uh, we have in this world in the same fashion that the disciples were going to face and we'll, we're really facing then. So in a perfect world, there would be really no sin for believers, right? 
the title of the sermon wouldn't be Disciples and Sin. It would be the Disciples or Sin. There would be this opposite thing. We'd, we'd be saved, and then there'd be no temptation. There'd be no sin. There'd be nothing else to, to drag us away from Jesus, away from God. Absolutely. Um, and while the disciple or sin is our future, the disciple and sin is our present, where this world wants to tear us down and take us away, and there's, there's temptations and things that just want to drag us away from God. Uh, so as we look into the scripture, it's talking about how we deal with that world, with that reality. So we start with the only correct way to look at sin is through God's eyes. If we try to approach it with our own views, we can, we can equivocate, we can compromise, we, we can make it okay for us to deal with to, to sin versus God who has an absolute standard of, of what that is. And in God's eyes, sin is damaging. It um, separates us from God and it leads to death. So even though it looks enticing at the beginning, it always goes down that road. We, we see a picture of that with Jesus on the cross where um, when he feels the full weight of sin, remember he says, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out to God. That's when all of our sin was upon him. And that separation, that first time he ever felt that separation was there. And just as painful as, as, as it was for Jesus, right? So the, we have to look at sin with the understanding of where it leads, and it l always leads there, and it's always not worth it. It always promises more than it delivers. So in Mark, in um, 42, uh, you know, Jesus begins by describing us as children. He's, he talks about the little ones who believe, and this is how God views us. Um, we're his children, and he wants to protect us from that separation from that death, from the consequences of sin. One thing that my dad said to me, and it's always stuck with me, right when we were having our first uh, kid, uh, was that no one will love your kids as much as you do. And if, if you know other people's kids, you know that's true. Uh, because it's, while it's a lot of fun to have people's kids over and play and, and goof off, it's, it can be really fun to give them back and say, like, these are your kids now. I've, I've given them sugar, or whatever it is. Um, you know, there's, there's that point where you want to give them back. So God looks at us as his kids, not people he's going to give back, but people that, that he will love us and wants to protect us. Uh, and even more so, like, uh, m my wife and I, we work really, really hard to protect our children from... Uh, you know, bad things that want to come in, you know, especially with, uh, you know, the internet or, or movies or TVs, we're policing everything that they see because uh, we, we don't want them to be pulled away into these things. And we hope that as our relationship grows and as they grow and they get more agency in their own decisions, they'll make those wise decisions. And we want to teach them why these, these are good decisions versus bad decisions without making them go through them. It's always better to learn from somebody else's mistakes or from uh, just to hold on to that wisdom without needing to go through it on your own. Um, so in verse, um, yeah, continuing in verse 42, um, the phrase cause to sin, uh, in there it says whoever cause, uh, causes one of these little ones who believe to sin is actually one word. So uh, cause to sin is uh, 
in the Greek it means to scandalize, but it means literally to entrap, to intentionally cause to sin. So, um, and the world, uh, it says elsewhere in Matthew that the world is there trying to offend us, trying to stumble us, trying to, trying to attack us. Uh, and so this warning uh, is really for anyone who wants to trap God's children, right? So uh, essentially it's saying that it's better if they would drown quickly than to deal with the vengeful God. Uh, the, the millstone, hanging a millstone around the neck, you know, uh, the millstone was a big device, not a little kind of like thing that you, you could imagine, oh, I'll, I'll hang this on a rope around my neck. It was a big wheel that a donkey would pull to grind flour. And so like there was a hole in the middle. So you can imagine this big, huge piece of stone around somebody's neck and then pushing them in the, in the ocean. Like that's going to be a fast death. It's going to be over. So uh, God isn't promising to go push a whole bunch of people in the ocean. He's saying, like, this would be a better result than, uh, than, than dealing with a vengeful God. So God cares about you guys that much. That um, This is actually in Matthew, in the parallel passage I said in Matthew, which is in chapter 18, you can go look at it. Uh, it it's almost laid out as a curse for those who would stumble you. But as we continue in verse 43, you'll notice a shift. The danger switches from an outside force causing you to some stumble to an inside force. Because uh, uh, we see that the warning uh, for the little ones is if, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your feet cause you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. So are we supposed to start hacking up our bodies? It'd be kind of, I'm not recommending that. The answer is no. Um, but uh, some of the early Christians actually took this literally, and they took this ver- these verses, and they also took the verses earlier where uh, Jesus talks about being made eunuchs for Christ, and they mutilated themselves to deal with their thoughts. And uh, they found out that the result was while their behaviors were changing, the sin didn't change. So going through and hacking off limbs and things is not going to change the sin. Um, I've even heard of Christians, even, even modern-day Christians, uh, who have who've done this to their hands or tried because, the, because of the sin, and it never changed. If I cut off my right hand, my left hand can sin just as much. If I cut off both hands, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not these things that are causing sin. It's my wicked heart that causes sin. Um, and, uh, and Jesus even says this plainly earlier in, in Mark 7. He says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Yeah. So the only thing that really promises to cut deep enough for the heart is the word of God. That's the one thing that, that can deal with sin. So what is Jesus really talking about here when he says, cut these things off if they cause you to sin? He's talking about the opportunity to sin. He's talking about removing the, 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 um, the things that lead you to sin. Because if you look at the three, right, we've got hands, the things you do. We've got eyes, the things you see. We've got feet, the places you go. So we have these three things which are, which are, which are really kind of 
um, the pathways to, to get to sin. And if you, if you see that, um, that these things are leading you to sin, um, you, should, you should cut them off. One of my favorite movies is The Matrix. I do a lot of movie references. One of my favorite movies was The Matrix, uh, is The Matrix, I still love it. Uh, but one of the best scenes in it is right when Neo is on his way to meet Morpheus. And they're in the back of a, of a sedan, and he says, wait, pull over, I want out. Because they're telling him, you know, you've got to do everything we say, and, and he's a rebel, he's like, he doesn't want to do it. So he opens the door, and then uh, Trinity is sitting next to him and grabs him and says, Neo, you don't want to go that way. And he says, why? And so she, and there's a, the, cinematography shows this rainy road and she says because you've been down that road you know exactly where it goes and I know that's not where you want to be and when I when I when I saw that I was like that's a perfect picture of of sin like we see it enticing us we see it as the road that oh look I want to get out of this situation or I want to deal with this pain or deal with whatever it is this you know I want to go down this road because it promises to get me out of this situation or make things better but really it's not at the end the destination is where you don't want to be So if we were to apply that practically, um, if you look at the things that are leading you to sin, if your internet connection is causing you to sin, just it's easy, cut it off. You don't need it. If, um, if your job is taking over your life and there's no room for Jesus in your life because of it, get a new job. It's not worth it. If, if the party life is, has pulled you in and is, is taking you away from, from God and leading you to sin, Find something else to do on Friday nights. Uh, we have home groups. I'd recommend that. You know, find, find Christians and find people that are edifying and building you up. And um, the, the, the technical term is sublimation, uh, which is basically swapping things. So find something else. Swap it. Cut off the thing that's leading you to sin. Um, I remember uh, as a, you know, when I, when I was younger, I was dealing with, you know, uh, incredible feelings of loneliness, being single, wanting, you know, like, where's, where's the connection I can have? And I came across uh, this paper that was talking about sublimation and talking about these things, and I found that I could either dwell in that loneliness and find avenues of sin, or I could swap it. And so at that time in my life, it was, it was so amazing. Like, I was at the church every night. Not this church, at another church, but I was, I was at the church every night because the church had something going on every night except Mondays when the pastors took the day off and that bummed me out. But, <laughs> but I found a way to be every night. It was like I'd leave work, go find, find a Bible study, find a home group, find a, find a worship service, find something. And it was the sweetest, most amazing time because I had no opportunity to sin. There was nothing. And I didn't feel lonely anymore because, you know, that place in my heart was being filled properly by Jesus, by fellowship. Um, if you, uh, so in, in, I'm really glad you mentioned Hebrews 12 because I was going to quote it too. Uh, so the author of Hebrews kind of describes this life as a, as a marathon that we're running. Um, and he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, um, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings to us, uh, clings so closely, and lets us and let us run the race with uh, endurance that is set before us. 
it's a bit silly to try to run a race if you got if you're tied off to something. My wife just ran uh, Ragnar. Uh, I'm gonna brag on you a bit. My wife just ran the Ragnar race. It's a 200-mile relay. She didn't run 200 miles, although I believe she could if she wanted. Uh, it's split across 12 people, uh, and uh, it's across two days. And uh, I think one of, one person dropped from her team, so she wound up in two days running a marathon, essentially, in three legs. Uh, and it would have been weird for her to say, okay, I'm ready to run the race and tying herself off to the car and start running, right? Because she wouldn't get anywhere fast uh, or you know, putting out a bunch of weights. Instead, she spent months training. She, uh, she had special shoes, special gear, all designed to, to, to make the race work. And, and, she, and she did great. Um, life, the Christian life is like that. Running that race, as the author of Hebrews says, we don't want anything to pull us down, to pull us away, to direct us away from Jesus. We want to go in that one direction towards God. So as we look into, um, into what, what it means to be a Christian, we can see that there are, there's great reward in Christianity, and that's you know, eternal life with God, and that's given us to us up front. You, you, you believe, and that reward is yours. But we also see there's sacrifice involved in this, and a lot of times we brush over that sacrifice bit. The piece that, uh, of a life, a holy life dedicated to God, of running a race, of these things, these are things that we do in the life of a Christian. It comes after the reward, and it's important to know that the reward is not earned by this life. The reward is a gift, as we were talking about faith as a gift. All these things are gifts from God. But the next phase of that is the part where God doesn't leave us where he found us. He makes us into what he wants us to be. So as we look through this scripture, there was a lot of like hacking and like things that are painful. Um, Jesus mentions hell three times here. Uh, Side note, if, if, you're, if you believe that there is no such thing as hell, you got to take that up with Jesus because he talks about it a lot more than he does actually heaven. Um, but in English, the word here for hell is Gehenna. I, uh, and the reason that that's important is because whereas we see hell and we think maybe, you know, the guy pitchfork fire and stuff and like, I don't want to go there place, uh, Sunday school, but this is actually the word that's used to, do, to also describe the lake of fire. And to Jesus' listeners, to the disciples here, Gehenna means the Valley of Hinnom. And it was a real place just southwest of Jer Jerusalem. And it had some evil, wicked history. If you go back to Jeremiah and Isaiah, they talk about it. Jeremiah calls it the Valley of Slaughter. And Isaiah calls it the Burning Place. And the reason that they're called that is because uh, during the time of the kings of Judah, they would take their babies and they would sacrifice them to idols in there uh, in that valley with fire they would burn them on the altars and so um, it was a place of wickedness wickedness and death and the screaming of the children got so loud that they would beat drums to drown out the noise that's how callous the people were to it and so when jesus talks about gehenna he's talking about this place that has fire and wickedness and death and pain and just noise and just all these things. Uh, so that's the alternative that Jesus is presenting. Remove the opportunity 
for sin in your life because you know exactly where that road leads, pain, separation, death. Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say that as a Christian you have a park hopper pass. Nowhere does it say you can go over here and sin and then go over here and, and, and enjoy benefits. It says cut off the sin. Stop it. Uh, it says where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched, talking about that place. So beginning in verse 50, there's kind of a shift here. Um, Jesus then talks about being salted with fire. Um, so this is a different fire than the judgment and is more talking about uh, a fire of purification. So now we've shifted from the destination is hell to now a, a fire that rips apart, rips away the things that are bad. Like when you, um, how you purify a metal, right? You heat it up and all the bad stuff raises to the top. And that's a great metaphor for life where as things hit, heat up, the things that are hidden inside rise to the top. Um, and uh, salt also in the same way is, is meant as a purifier. It, it's an antibacterial. Um, so we have a picture of that in the Old Testament where salt and fire are stuck together and that's the grain offering where they, uh, they would take all the ingredients for bread, they would add salt and they would burn it. So if you're familiar at all with what that means, bread is life. If you go to Israel, uh, if you haven't gone to Israel, go. Uh, if you've been to Israel, they, they might have talked to you about how significant bread is to the Jewish culture. Um, if I share bread with you, I'm sharing life with you. It's a very intimate thing. And so when it talks about the grain offering and all these things that basically are bread, and Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, referring to this grain offering, it's life. So we're talking about a life and then we're talking about purified, salt is on there, uh, and we're talking about um, uh, fire, another purification, and this bread has everything, like I said, except for yeast. So it's more like crackers, but uh, the, the yeast always represents sin, so a pure life sacrificed on fire uh, with no sin. Sound like anyone you know? Jesus? Um, yeah, Sunday school answers work here. Um, so, so it's Jesus, our example. That's who we're supposed to strive to be. That's what the salt, uh, seasoned with salt and fire means. We are to strive to be, uh, to live as Jesus. Uh, so Romans, yeah, Romans 12 uh, describes it perfectly. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So this is meant to be a continual sacrifice. And the only reason that the sacrifice is made worthy of God is, again, because of Jesus' sacrifice. It says, um, to present yourself um, uh, holy and acceptable to God. And the only way we become holy and acceptable to, be by, holy and acceptable to God is through Jesus' sacrifice. So that's where it starts. But this also talks about presenting ourselves as living sacrifices. And it's talking about a continual 
presentation, a continual offering of our lives to Jesus, our lives to God. So it's important, like I said, to, to, to separate the two ideas that reward and sacrifice are here. Um, So Jesus, in the end, uh, at the very end of uh, 50, talks about uh, that salt is good uh, unless it loses its saltiness. Now, I've heard this scripture my entire life in the church. I'm like, okay, so salt somehow loses its saltiness. Uh, We've never had that happen at my house, but maybe it happens somewhere. And it's always just been kind of opaque to me. But actually, if you look at it chemically, uh, you know, salt is very, very stable. And if you store it dry, it will never lose its saltiness, not for years and years and years. So what is really being said here? Well, pure salt doesn't lose its saltiness. But salt that's been mixed in with impurities tends to, right? Maybe if it's not stored dry, it gets wet. Or um, in in Jesus' time, they would actually mix salt because it was so expensive with other things. They would use gypsum. Gypsum is that stuff we we, we make whiteboards out of. So can you imagine eating that stuff? That's nasty. Um, But they would would mix it in. And uh, of course, that salt would lose its saltiness. So the only way to keep salt salty or to make salt salty is to put more salt in it and get rid of the impurities. That's the only way. So we're called to, to, to purify ourselves, to pursue that. Um, as I was saying, we're going to start up our home groups uh, again this season, and I wanted to kind of encourage you guys to join uh, with fellowship with, uh, with other people to, to kind of get that chance to, to live together, to, uh, to be accountable together. That's my prayer, actually, for this season of home groups, is that people would... would uh, would work together on this because it talks about living at peace with one another and talks about being pure with one and uh, with the with the opportunities that we have in this church to um, I would encourage you guys to replace these things that are dragging you away with 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 good things um, and let's remove the opportunity of sin let's cut these other things off um, as I said at the beginning dis- the disciple or sin is our future. And between now and then, we have the opportunity to submit to God and to um, seek purity. So we're going to end with uh, what Paul encourages the Philippians with. Uh, In Philippians 4, 8 through 9, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. And he can't find 